We're going to continue on this morning with our Cultivate series as we look at that second aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to be looking at cultivating joy in a depressed world. And uh, we're going to be in Philippians 4. I tell you what, when you look at these nine different uh, items in the fruit of the Spirit, it's all over Scripture. It's so hard to settle in on one spot and look at it. So you may have a favorite passage that comes to mind with joy. Read it and study it. We're going to look at one of my favorites in Philippians 4 today. I wrote down that we should talk about joy and be happy about it. Right? I think we should. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, a joy is the serious business of heaven. Think about that for a minute. Joy is the serious business of heaven. You see, it's so important for us to know joy, to experience joy in our lives. But unfortunately, many people don't. I read a while back one of the most profound quotes that I have read in a long time. Some of you know of the writings of Warren Wiersbe, and this is what he said. I hope you'll listen. It just smacked me right here, and I was in my chair, thank goodness, and I just had to begin to pray and say, God, help me. God, help us. Here is the quote as you think about joy. He says this, most Christians are being crucified on a cross between two thieves, yesterday's regret and tomorrow's worries. Think about that for a minute. Think about the opposite of joy. Think about what keeps that joy from being cultivated, the spirit cultivating that joy in us. That most Christians are being crucified on a cross between two thieves, regret of yesterday and worries about tomorrow. If I could paraphrase him, wow. You see, there's not a simple formula for joy. I do know this, though. For that to be appropriate in our lives, we must be connected to the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, we must be connected. Why? For joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. So as we're going to do each week, we're going to quote um, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We're going to put it up here again. One of these days, you're going to have to say it with me by memory, so you better get busy. Here we go. Would you read it with me? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Wow. Today we look at an attribute of the fruit of the Holy Spirit who's indwelling us. Remember what I said about fruit last week. I'll say it again. This word fruit means uh, the result or produce, outcome, offspring, the yield, the harvest. As God's Spirit is working in us, there should be a harvest, a yielding. Let's remember it's the Holy Spirit's fruit in us. Well, I thought just like I did last week with love, I'd come up with a few definitions for joy. So this is from someone age three. Are you ready? Joy is playing Mario Kart, eating pizza, and snuggles with mommy. Oh, and the water park. We'll move up to age five. Here it is, direct quote. Joy is, I don't know. Age eight, joy is playing with my puppy. And then it gets, oh, and I heard that over there. Oh, oh, I don't know. Oh, to be eight again, you get all that, oh, right? 
And then, let's get a little more serious, age 52, I love this, joy is a gift from God. It lives, lives deep in my soul, it is unshakable, and it, listen to this, does not depend on life's circumstances. That's the, now I'd say, oh, too late. <laughs> he just wanted to get his voice on the recording, you know. Boy, do I need that one today, right? You, you ever in the midst of a circumstance? And there should be joy. I'm in the midst of a circumstance right now. Sorry, guys. There we go. I'm a real person like the rest of you. I had a little hair in my mouth. I had to get rid of it, okay? Let's keep going. This is from age 75. This blows me away. Listen to this quote. Age 75. Joy is to feel alive and happy because, are you ready for this? God has a plan for me. Do you believe that? Whether we're uh, uh, seven and a half or 75 or anywhere in between or older or younger, God has a plan for us and we can have joy in that. One other quote that I've heard recently is this one. I don't like it. Joy is a shorter sermon. Actually, I made that up. <laughs> I just want to see if you're listening because, I, you know, I, you would never, ever say that. I know none of you would say, I'm feeling like there's emails coming to my phone right now. Okay. Please, Pastor. Wow. So joy is in what I call the first triad of those nine things, the fruit of the Spirit. And we've talked about that. And what I want us to remember, because next week you're going to see this, the same thing. Love, of course, is overarching, but love, joy, and peace go together. They're intertwined in that first triad, that first three, and we'll see it. And hopefully you'll look back to last week and see it in this week, and we'll look forward to next week and we'll see it and we'll just see these things. But the word is simply the word kara, and it's a very simple definition. To rejoice, to be glad. That's it. So I thought perhaps a way to help us understand this a little bit more would be to look at some antonyms that show us the contrast. Are you familiar with that, the opposite? And so here are some of the biblical words that would be opposites of joy, and here's how we would share them in English, okay? So joy is not consuming grief. I didn't say grief. I said consuming grief, travail, pain, tribulation, anguish, bitterness, or distress. So that kind of helps us see those words are used in the Bible as opposite to joy here. Here's the big idea. Here's what I think that we should be propelled to be about and do as we think about the, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It should be this. We are, as Christians, we are to exhibit a joy-filled life. That's the first part. Did you catch that? You might need to write that down. I don't know. We are to exhibit a joy-filled life which is the result of the Holy Spirit working in us. That should be a hallmark of us. So let's look at Philippians 4. We're going to read 14 verses. So I'll read fast and you read fast and listen fast. So then in this way, my dearly loved brothers, my joy, there it is, and crown. Stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice! Exclamation point. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. 
Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, all comprehension, the peace of God, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content. You might want to underline that word. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. And if we were to read some more verses there, it would continue to talk about their provision, their sharing. But let's take a look at these verses this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we're grateful to be able to be here today. Thank you that we can come, that we can be present. Thank you that we are able to worship together, to pray together, to proclaim your word together. We're grateful for that. And God, may you touch us. God, may we exhibit this fruit so much in our lives that would draw people to you and they would want to know more about you. So thank you, Lord, for your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just quickly, Philippians, because we're in here one week and then we're, we're on uh, to, I think, First Thessalonians next week. But Philippians has been often called the book of joy. Have you ever heard that? It's been called the book of joy. It was written to Christians in, in, in a city called Philippi. You probably figured that out, didn't you? Philippians, Philippi. And it's very interesting. It was written by Paul. Do you remember where he was? While he was in prison in faraway Rome. This church is interesting. It was founded by people that Paul had led to Christ during his first visit to the region. I think that's interesting. I had the joy of praying with a couple kids who seemed really ready to place their trust in Jesus. And we had some more of those this week. And it's just a wonderful thing to get to be part of. And think of how it must have been for Paul to write this letter to a church that was full of people that God gave him the opportunity to lead them to place their trust in Jesus. And yet he's far away in prison. So let's jump in and break this down into a few different categories and see where we find joy. Number one, we find joy in friendship. In your sermon notes there, joy in friendship. Verse 1, so then in this way, my dearly loved brothers, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. It's kind of a weird sentence in English. It, it, I would say this, if I could summarize this, I would say this. Here's the principle about joy and friendship. Friends who are standing firm in the Lord 
bring joy to other Christians. Do you believe that? I believe that. That has happened in my life. Friends who stand firm in the Lord, they bless me and they bring joy to my life. Now, uh, if it wasn't in English, if we try to just look at the biblical language, we might say it this way. Dearly loved and long for brothers. That's what he's kind of saying there. This is the people he's talking to here in verse 1. Well, that dearly loved, that beloved, very important because it comes from last week. It comes from agape. It comes from love. And he says um, that he, he, he longs for them. And I think that's interesting to know. There's a great yearning. And he calls them brothers. We'll see that as it comes, which gives a picture of brotherhood. What I want you to get here, though, these folks are Paul's, direct quote, they are Paul's what? Joy and crown. He says it right there. They are his joy and crown. Now, crown is interesting. This is not some kingly royal crown. It's a picture of a crown of victory. And figuratively, the victory uh, or the symbol of eternal life. These folks are followers of Christ, and it brings joy to him. So if we had time and we look back at the first three chapters of Philippians, we would discover that um, it's their Christian growth that brings joy to Paul. You see it over and over, and he's commenting on that. So if we look back, we would see that. If we point forward, we see that what? They stand firm in the Lord. Go back to uh, Philippians 1.27, and we'll take a look at what this stand firm means. Stand firm means literally to be stationary, to persevere. Stand firm no matter what. Look at verse, uh, one, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. Just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent... I will hear about you that you are, there it is, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith of the gospel. So there's a little commentary from Paul right in the book about what is going on there. So I would say this, first of all, when we think about joy, there's joy in Christian friendship, in those who are standing firm in the Lord with you. And so the question is, are you the type of friend who stands firm? in the Lord. Don't raise your hand. I just want you to think about that for a minute. Are you the type of friend who stands firm in the Lord? I didn't say, are you the most hugging friend? I didn't say that. I didn't say, you're the most generous friend. Are you the friend that stands firm in the Lord? No matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the culture is, no matter what the friend might be going for, through, are you the friend who stands firm in the Lord? So there's joy in friendship. I think in verse 2 and 3 we see there's joy in unity. Look at that, joy in unity. And what I would say about that is we're to be about peace. We're to be at peace. We're to help one another. Look at verses 2 and 3. He talks to these, about these two ladies. And he urges them, look at verse 2, to do what? To agree in the Lord. And then he asked the true partner or the yoke fellow, that partner uh, that's not named here, but he mentions here, to help him, to help him, to be able to agree in the Lord. So it's clear to us, even though we weren't there at the time, we're not old enough, we weren't there, but there was a situation, there was a specific situation in this church of a quarrel among two ladies that never happens in church. We could say two men. 
That never happens in church, does it? We could say uh, a man and a woman. We could say a father and a son. We could say a mother and a daughter. We could go on and on and on, all right? Listen, there's quarreling that goes on. God had to make sure there was a bunch of verses in the book of Proverbs for us to read so we'd be reminded to be careful about quarreling. I'll just let that simmer for a moment. What's interesting, though, is these are not... These are not two ladies that just show up if there's a church boat. You know what I'm talking about? That never would come to church, but just would show up. Or if there was a problem, would just show up. No, what does it say about these two ladies? These are sharp, dedicated ladies. Scripture tells us they were ladies who had contended for the gospel. And he names with, with Paul himself, with Clement, and with a bunch of other disciples or other Christians, co-workers. That word contended is an interesting word. It gives us a picture of sport or even gives us a picture of war. Think about that for a moment, contending, especially when a prize is involved. I watched a little of the NCAA Division I track and field championships. Anybody excited? Not a single person in here, probably. But I, especially that long, long, the 5,000 meters, those long distance run, they are contending for a prize. They are contending. And of course, if you know anything about track meets, you know the final events are the 4x400 relays, ladies and men. And I watched those four ladies contend like crazy. For where, where were they from? Texas A&M, I believe. They broke, the, they shattered a record. It was amazing. They handed the baton off right, and each one of them ran their leg, and they contended, and they didn't worry about what was going on here or here or behind them. They just kept going. That's the picture we get. These ladies had contended not for a prize of a gold medal, but for a prize of the gospel they had contended. So I want you to picture this. This is not just a rabble-rouser. This, this, I, I don't even think they're gossip-mongers. I think they had a quarrel. They had a weak moment, and they had a quarrel. It's a squabble. It's the picture of non-unity. That's why I say there's joy in unity. If I could say this, I hope you'll agree with this. Quarreling is not the nature of the church. And you may say, well, if you knew the church that I used to go to, or you knew this church down here, quarreling, I don't find it. Quarreling is not the nature of the church. We need to be careful because Paul urges one thing. Did you see what he urges? It's a deep word. He urges them to agree. That deep, profound word means to set one's mind to something. But more than just setting my mind to it, like I'm going to do it, but in a way that we live in harmony. And it involves the will, the mind, and the conscience. That's the word. So Paul urges that they would agree in the Lord. I think that's powerful to think about. Think of the joy that could come from that type of unity. Go back to Philippians 2, the first four verses, Philippians 2, and we'll see some more commentary on this. Look at this. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy. There it is again, Paul. Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do you see unity there? 
Can you catch that? Verse 3, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. There it is. Wow. And Paul goes so far to ask the true partner, the one who is yoked together with him, the fellow laborer, the colleague, to mediate in this situation. So there's joy in unity. Now, I didn't say joy in uniformity. I, I, it's frustrating. Pastors, we always have to qualify the word unity. We're not saying be a spiritual doormat. We're not saying something didn't happen to you. What we're saying is we're not all going to be exactly the same. Would you agree with that? Some of you are grateful. You like a, I'd hate to be a pastor wearing a VBS t-shirt. You know. Thank you for laughing. Appreciate that. We're not all exactly the same. Uniformity. But there can be unity and there's joy in unity. So the question is, are you living in harmony with others? In such a way that brings joy. It brought joy. There's the word to Paul. And maybe, let me go a step further. Perhaps, are you a person of mediation? Or are you a person of confrontation? Do you catch the difference? Well, let's keep going. Number three, there's joy in verses four through nine in God's peace. I told you, love, joy, and peace, they go right together. He, he says rejoice in the Lord, doesn't he? He says it again, and again I say rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice, exclamation point. That's the word for joy. Over and over he says that. In verse four, Paul issues the command. You see, he's making it clear the joy-filled, Lord-filled life should be our way of life. It should be our way of life. And then we get to verse 5, and we see a practical admonition for us, a practical way to have joy. Here is it. Are you ready? It's by exhibiting graciousness, according to verse 5. That is an interesting word. It means yielding. It means gentle. It means kind. So a practical way is exhibiting graciousness to all. Did you catch that? To everyone, to all. Not just to my friends, but to all. Wow. What does that mean? It is the ability to go beyond the letter of the law. Have you heard of that before? The letter of the law? It's the ability to go beyond the letter of the law in treating others. It's something besides just that box of strict judgment. It does not insist on personal rights or privileges. Stay tuned. There'll be more on that in a few weeks as we get to that part of Fruit of the Spirit. But why? Why should we do this? Or how, we could say. I don't know what you want to say there. Because the Lord is near. Now, what does that mean? What that means is that God, right now, God is here. Are you aware of that? And when Paul wrote that to this church, God is near. What that means is God is available to us right now. If you are truly a follower of Christ, you've truly been born again, you have God's Holy Spirit indwelling in you. God, the Lord is near. He's here right now. He's here and he's ready to work in our lives. That's very helpful. And then we see a principle in verse 6. Don't miss that one. Joy replaces something. Are you ready? Some folk will need to write this down right now. Joy replaces anxiety in life. You heard it here. 
Scripture. We could go on and on and on and on. Again, I'm not saying that we're denying something or I'm not saying we should be run over, but what I am saying is that deep-rooted anxiety, joy, replaces it. We must get this into our brain. The command is not to worry about, what did it say? Anything. Not most things or some things, but anything. How is this possible? How can this be, preacher? How in the world could this be? Uh, What's the cure for this anxiety or worry? It's right there in that verse. What is it? One word. Prayer. Prayer. And if you'll remember back to the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus preached and preached and preached, according to Jesus in Matthew 6, worry demonstrates a lack of trust in God. I need to hear that. Do you need to hear that? We're not perfect, are we? Are we? We need to be recalibrated. We need to be lined up again to the fact that we're demonstrating a lack of trust in God if we are just anxious all the time, if we worry all the time. Prayer with God can help in that area. Remember, where's Paul writing these words from? Prison. Of all guys who could have anxiety, of all guys who could be worrying, wouldn't it be the guy in prison? I think so. So let me ask you the question, how joyful are you? And that doesn't always just mean giddy. Are you aware of that? But also, don't tell me you're joyful if you walk around all the time like this. Morning. (laughs) Some of it can spill out, folks, okay? Okay, you ever heard the phrase, you bump into a guy and you find out what is really inside because it comes out? Yeah. Joy. Don't bump into me today, okay? It's not what I mean. But I want you to think about the question, how joyful are you or are you more worrisome? Hmm. And then we get to verse 7, and there's a continuation of prayer. And it shows that the continuation of prayer is to receive something. We receive the very peace of God. Not peace. Not the world's peace, not even your spouse's peace or your kid's peace or whatever. It is the very peace of God. This is something that a non-believer cannot acquire until they're transformed, regenerated, until they're born again. You see, God's divine character is serenity. It's not this dream of a human mind. It's God. And and this type of prayer where we receive the very peace of God protects the two areas of worry. Did you see that as we looked at verse 7? It will do what? It will surpass every thought. And then here's the two things. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this type of prayer, this joy-filled life, protects us from the two areas of worry. The heart. Feelings, the mind, thoughts. See, you have a certain personality. So one of those two areas are going to appeal. Some of you, it's it's all about the heart. Feel, 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 feel. Some of you, it's all about the mind. Think, 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 think. It covers both of those. And then we get to verse 8 as we're thinking about joy and God's peace. And and Paul gives more commands for the joyful person. Remember, they're his joy and his crown. He's writing to them. This whole book is the book of joy. And then he gives some commands. Did you see that? He's basically saying, dwell on these things. The first one is, 
whatever is true. Well, what does that mean? Well, a basic definition of this word is that which corresponds to reality, but that's not enough. We can't say that anymore because some people would say, well, it's just my reality. Deal with it. No, it's more than that. It pertains to reality, but it pertains specifically to Jesus who is the truth. So dwell on what is true. Dwell on what is honorable. Those are things that lift the mind above the scandals of the world. Can I just remind you, church, if you're, if you're spending big portions of every day watching a news channel, et cetera, et cetera, are you with me? Don't leave. Stay here. Are you dwelling on things that are honorable? Because the word means things that lift the mind above the scandals of the word, world. Maybe we need to spend more time in the word than we do on this news channel or that news channel or this newspaper or that or Facebook. Just saying. Think about it. So dwell on what's true, what's honorable. This is to get this joy. What is just? Just means fairness. Just means righteousness. Dwell on what is pure, he says. That's thinking. Thinking this way, what does that do? Pure thoughts. It leads us away from sin and always leads us towards God. Whatever is lovely, this is a very rare word that he uses here, lovely. It means things that attract admiration and affection instead of fighting and feuding. So if you're to dwell on things that are lovely, it's going to be those that have admiration, those that have affection, not those that are fighting, feuding things. And he continues, he says, dwell on that which is commendable. Worthy of praise, of approval. It's a picture of a good reputation. Isn't that interesting? The joy-filled life focuses on all these things. These virtues, I believe, are then summed up in the two words that we saw there in verse 8. That which is excellent and that which is worthy of praise. I want you to think about that for a minute. These are of God's Spirit. When we do these things, when we're in prayer, when we're exhibiting the joy-filled life, the Lord-filled life, the Spirit-filled life, what we see is that there is excellence and praise. And so my question is always this, really? Is this possible? And Paul says, yes, in verse 9. He says, look at my example. Not because he's egotistical, not because he led these folks to the Lord and now they have a church, but because he is exhibiting a joy-filled life, peaceful life, while he's in prison. Let's move on. Joy and contentment. Number four, verses 10 through 13, as we look at joy and contentment. The joy-filled life has an attitude of gratitude. Paul focuses on the attitude of the Philippians as they provided. He rejoiced, in verse 10, he rejoiced. He had joy in the Lord for them. And he was also clear that he was content. Did you catch that? You see it in verse 11 and in verse 12. He is content. Let me make a strong statement this morning. I believe that contentment is a hallmark of the joy-filled life. Restlessness is not. The grass greener on the other side of the fence is not. If I just had 
blank, I would be joyful. You see the difference? It's not. Hmm. It's this gratitude. It's this contentment. What does this mean? Well, basically, it does mean uh, sufficiency in oneself, but here it means more than that. It means sufficiency in God. I want to share a couple scriptures with you. Jot them down. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is a great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. All right, some of your parents, now you know where you got that from when you told your kid, I can take you out. You didn't quote it exactly right, okay? It's godliness with contentment. Brought nothing in the world, can take nothing out, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Here's another verse. Hebrews, write it down. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Your life should be free from the love of money. Be satisfied. There's a synonym for contentment. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we may boldly say, are you ready for this? The Lord, and he's quoting scripture, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? As a result of contentment, no matter what the circumstances are, we run into verse 13. Famous verse, Kind of a life verse for me. Got to be careful, though, not just to take it out of context. Okay? Paul had strength, and he wrote, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. He had such strength. So long as Jesus kept on putting power into him. And the word there is the word we get our word dynamite for. Picture that. That's where he was. Paul is testifying here, not that, look at me, but he's testifying, look at the sufficiency of Christ's strength, of his power. Paul is content in all things, and according to this verse, prepared to do all things. Have you thought about that? It brings joy to your life. The joy-filled life can be content and also prepared for action to do all things. This is the sweet spot that we desire to be in that brings joy. Let's finish up with number five, joy in provision. We read verse 14. We could read on and on and on about the provision, but basically what we discover is these folks are generous, and they gave over and over. And Paul has joy as he is fully supplied. That means whole. He's made whole. And in abundance. Interesting word. It gives a picture of a vessel being full, but not just that, being overflowing. And, and, and he has joy in their provision. He did not expect it. He did not demand it. You remember? He was a tent maker. He worked. He never demanded that. But if you go through and look at the New Testament, over and over these people are giving provision. And he's fully supplied and, and, and he's in abundance. We should also remember that as, listen to this, it's a famous verse, verse 19, you can read it. We don't have time to read it all, but verse 19. God will supply our needs as we give to others' needs. I really believe that. As we are providing provision joyfully, God provides for all of our needs, and that brings joy to my heart. Let me close in this way. Jerry Bridges again has helped me. 
uh, with this application. I think it's in the bottom of your sermon notes. I think we have just enough time. I'll mention it just briefly, but hopefully you'll take some time this week to look at stumbling blocks to joy and aids to joy. Stumbling blocks to joy. The first one, of course, we all know, don't we? Sin. Sin. Do you remember King David? Do you remember how amazing he was? And yet the sin that was in his life. And in Psalm 51, if you read it, he's calling out to the Lord. He's confessing. He's been confronted. And he says a very peculiar thing. He says, restore unto me the what? The joy of my salvation. Sin will rob us of joy. Sin is a stumbling block to joy. Number two, misdirected confidence. That's confidence in me. Or you have confidence in you. It's misdirected. What does he say over and over in this passage? Rejoice, what? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Say it with me. Rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't say me. He says rejoice in the Lord. Number three, the discipline of, law, uh, of God sometimes can be a stumbling block to joy. Now, the discipline of God, I can't talk today. I got VBS syndrome, VBS hangover syndrome, all right? The discipline of God comes, why? Because of sin, missing the mark, right? Hebrews 12, 11 tells us that as far as God is concerning, no discipline is pleasant at the time. It's a real verse, but painful, painful. So that goes with sin kind of, but that can be a stumbling block to joy. And the fourth one is trials of faith. Now, once you realize something, the discipline of God and trials of faith are different. Trials of faith, their purpose is to do what? Not to expose our sin, but to build our faith. Different. So if you say you're going through a trial, smile. Because it's not, it's not, if it's about your sin, then don't call it a trial. Call it something else, God's discipline. But if it's a trial, it's building up your faith. Well, let's look and end in a more positive way. Aids to joy. Look at that. Aids to joy. Again, I start with King David. Here is a real practical way to get joy in your life. Confessing sin and forsaking sin. Psalm 32, 5, David writes this, I acknowledge my sin. Do you see what he did? I acknowledge my sin, and I love this line. He's telling God, you took away the guilt of my sin. How joyful could that be? Amen? Number two, another aid, trusting in God. Romans 15, 13, powerful verse. It tells us that the God of hope fills us with joy. A joy that can overflow. Number three, here's one, a very practical that we miss sometimes, is a, a way to help us live the joy-filled life is to have a long-range view of life. Do you understand that? You have a worldview. Are you aware of that? Whether you know it or not, you do. I hope it's a Christian worldview. But it can't be just right here in a little teeny bubble. It has to be long range. 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us, gives us a command, we are to fix our eyes on what is seen and not unseen. We are to fix on what is eternal, not temporary. There's great joy in the long-range view. There's great joy in that. And I hope that you'll consider that and that you'll think about that. Ultimately, it's life forever with Jesus. And then the final one is thankfulness. Thankfulness. 
1 Thessalonians 5.18 says what? Give thanks in all circumstances. So I want to encourage you in that. We have the opportunity to make a decision today that we are going to step by step exhibit a joy-filled life in the Lord. And we can do that. So as I get ready to pray, I'm going to let you know we're going to have a response time. And these are very important. We had children this week. We offered a response time. And they placed their trust in Jesus. And I wonder today, who is here today, who's listening online, who maybe has never taken that step? For by grace are you saved through faith and not none of yourselves. What is it? It is a gift of God. It's not our thing. We can't boast about it. God is able and willing to provide a gift to you. It's his grace. It's his rescue plan. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come and rescue us, be the substitute for our sin. And we need to believe, which God gives that to us, that faith, right? We need to place our trust in him. Is that something you need to do today? Or you're thinking about it? We'll be down here and love to talk with you, pray with you. Perhaps there's a circumstance in your life and you'd like prayer about that. and You'd like to be able to have that released and be able to have the joy-filled life. You can do that today as well. Perhaps you've been hanging around and been looking for a church family. And you just want, would want to tell me, hey, I'd like to find out what that means to be part of the Hoffmantown family. Perhaps it's baptism. You know, it's interesting. You know, interestingly, in dealing with children and, and the, the Lord's moving in their life, you know, and all that, you know what they like to say? That I want to be baptized, right? What has happened that kids who are not yet believers see the importance of that and want to do that, and yet some of us are believers now, and we've not taken that step to let everybody know what Jesus has done in our life. Don't wait. Maybe that's you today. Let's pray. God, whatever, the, what, what, whatever it is today, whatever you're speaking to our lives, I pray that we would respond during this time of response. Move in our hearts. Speak to us right where we are. God, give us joy. Cultivate that in us. Propel us to a life that is filled with joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.